Um, I've been asked several times by folks, how's, how's the new semester going? And here's been my answer. And I've, I've been a little surprised by this. Well, I'll, I'll just say it. My answer has been, I love my students. And, and I'm not surprised that, that I love my students. I'm surprised because that's not what they're asking. They're asking how the, the new semester's going. And, and I love that my answer is, I love my students. And I love being with y'all. Thank you. And, and so it's really a, a wow. Um, and, and I feel like I have a confession to make here. I think I've been robbing you guys of, of friends I'm really fond of. Um, and, and here's what I mean by that. Every Wednesday, I, I go and visit with my dad and, and, and stay with him. He's got Alzheimer's. Um, and, and if you have ever been around someone with Alzheimer's, you know it's a nasty thing. Um, it's, my, I'm watching my dad die slowly. Um, and, and it's horrible. Um, and, and often folks can go one of two ways with, with Alzheimer's. They can get more ornery or, or get very ornery or they can get sweeter. My dad's getting sweeter, which is, which is really, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and, and so I've been robbing y'all by not sharing some stories because there's always some, some good stories. Amber, which, which, which? Um, great question. Um, he remembers me most of the time. I often get called by a brother's name. Um, does not remember my kids or my wife. Um, so that, that's kind of where we are. Um, but so I, I just determined today, I'm going to share some of these stories with you because they're pretty awesome. So we're good. these are Grampy tales. Y'all heard of Veggie Tales, right? <laughs> Grampy tales. So I, I'm walking with him, and he, he walks with a walker, and I'm behind him making sure he doesn't fall, and he's walking back to the bedroom and like I said he's getting he's getting sweeter and he said over and over how nice I was and how how nice our time was together and, and I said grandpa well it's been a privilege for me I love being with you and I had two great role models I had the nicest mom and the nicest dad on the planet and, and he kind of chuckled and he said yeah your dad was a beautiful man <laughs> He knew he was talking about himself. <laughs> I get my humility from him. Um, so a few moments later, like by moments, I mean like 10 paces later, we're starting the brushing the teeth process, and I had loaded his toothbrush, and I gave it to him. And he leans over, and I think he's going to, like, turn the faucet on to wet the toothbrush. Y'all do that, right? Okay. It's not just a Slater thing. Right. And, and he reaches over, and he pumps the soap <laughs> onto his toothbrush. And before I could get to him, he's like, <laughs> I'm like, Dad, you are a beautiful man. You are a beautiful man. Made my night. And he's got really clean teeth tonight. <laughs> um, well, I share that for two reasons. One, it's just fun to laugh together. But, but two, I'm watching the, this brokenness play out in my dad. And some of you have had grandparents or aunts or uncles or maybe even parents where the brokenness is, is pretty visible. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're pretty broken too. Um, so with that in mind, know that... Um, as you struggle through the brokenness of this life, as you hear some things tonight that might be hard for you to get your head around, or maybe even 
like you're just not sure you believe it, can I say to you it's okay? It really is. Every one of us are different, at different places on this journey trying to understand who God is, who his son Jesus Christ is, and what his word is all about. Um, and, and so it's okay um, to, to wrestle with that and to ask questions about that and know that I'm available. Others that you see up front here are available, and we'd love to talk with you more about that. And it won't be intimidating. Trust me, we will love you. And the main thing we will do, we'll keep pointing you back to God's word because that's where truth and joy can be found. So that's what you're going to get. And, and so take me up on that. All right, let, let, let's start tonight with a few scenarios that might help us get into our text. Um, suppose you're walking through, through campus, you're heading to class one day, and, and a total stranger walks up to you, and, and in his hand, he, he's got a cup, and, it, and it's about half full of this red liquid, and, and he puts it in front of you, and he says, take this, drink it, it'll save your life. Thank you. I, I kind of thought that might be the majority report. All right. So, yeah, that should be your response. But let, let's change the scenario just a little bit now. And, and let's suppose a friend comes up to you as you're walking to class and, and, and has the same cup and it's still got half full th- this red liquid. And your friend says, take this, drink it. It's your chemo medicine, and it will save your life. No. Now, how do you respond? Right. You know, why would I do? Like, why would I drink that? In fact, it would be bad for me. It would be poison for my body because I don't have cancer. Now, third scenario. Let's suppose your oncologist came to you as you're walking to class, and in one hand. They've got the results from a CAT scan that, that you just had. And without a doubt, 100% certain, you have pancreatic cancer and it will kill you. It's stage four. And in the other hand, your oncologist has this cup of red liquid and they hand it to you and they say, same thing, it's your chemo medicine and it will save your life. Now, how do you respond? You'll take it, you'll drink it, and you'll ask for seconds. Yeah, you said it's What's that? You just said it was Okay, with the cancer, let's suppose it was curable. Thank you for correcting me on that. Um, good questions. Stay with me here. You would take it. Why the difference? Because you saw yourself to be sick. You saw your need to take it. Jesus, when he was walking this earth, made this statement. It is not the well who need a physician, but the sick. Now here's a lockdown, take it to the bank rule of human nature. We do not seek help unless we need it. We do not look for a savior unless we believe we need saving. And that's why Jesus made the statement, it is not the well who need a physician, but the sick. And what I've just described for you is what these first few chapters of the book of Romans are trying to show us. We have an incurable cancer called sin, and we cannot cure ourselves. 
we need a Savior. And I want you to hear that right from the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 3. We'll start in verse 9. You can follow along there on the screen. We'll go all the way down to 26. This is what God's Word says. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, now listen, this is what's true of us. This is going to describe this cancer of sin. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But here's the cure. But now, but now, do y'all see the turn? But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation just means sacrifice. By his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As you look back at those earlier verses here in our text, starting there in verse 9, the picture we get of man's condition, it's not very flattering, is it? And it's kind of going off some of the things that we talked about last week in in Romans chapter 1. And as we read this, as we unfold this and unpack it, we see that the reach of sin has gone deep and far in every human heart. And the implications of that sin are devastating. So there's a few things I want us to see and, and, and really come to grips with about sin that are pretty unavoidable here in in this passage. Before we do that, let's get a working definition of sin. Sin is this. Sin is any rebellion against God in thought, word, and deed. Sin is any rebellion against God in thought, word, or deed. It, It can be by commission, in other words, doing that which we ought not do. Things like murder, adultery, lying, gossip, stealing. So committing the act, that that was sin. But often it's by omission. In other words, not doing what we should have done. 
not loving our neighbor, not serving one another, not praising God in a way that he's worthy of. So it can also be by omitting those things that we ought to have done. And with that definition of sin, let's just roll right, right, uh, right through Romans 3, those earlier verses, and what we learn here about sin. First thing I want you to see, sin is universal. Sin is universal. It's a thread that runs throughout this text. You can't miss it. It starts right out. Um, all, both Jews and Greeks. In Paul's mind, that would have been everybody. Because at that time, there were the Jews, God's people, and then there was everybody else. There were the Gentiles or the Greeks. So in Paul's mind, when he says both Jews and Greeks, he's saying everybody. All are under sin. And then he turns it to the, to the negative. None is righteous. No one seeks for God. Back to the positive. All have turned aside. All have sinned and fall short of the glory. Pretty clear from Romans 3, sin is a universal disease. And let me get this even closer. Everyone in this room, everyone on this campus, everyone on this planet has a heart and a life full of this disease called sin. So sin is universal. Second thing I want to look at or or talk about is the reach of sin. When I say that, here's what I mean. Sin has infected every part of us. Sin has infected every part of us. It's infected our morality. Do you see that phrase? None of us is righteous. It's infected our minds. No one understands. It's infected our words. He talks about the throat, then the tongue, then lips, then words. It's infected our actions. Our feet are swift to shed blood. And it's infected our very hearts. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Again, Romans 3 is pretty clear. Every one of our faculties has been infected and tainted with sin. And we come up with creative ways to not have to think about our sin or to not deal with our sin. We minimize it. We justify it. Not as bad as that person. If you only knew grace, man, not as bad as her. (laughs) We blame shift. But listen, the fact that we refuse to think about it doesn't make it not true. The fact that we won't think about it doesn't make it not true. Kind of like student loans. (laughs) All right? Don't like to think about them. They haven't gone away. They're still there. Sorry, too close. I know. Third, because of our sin, we're accountable. We're accountable for our sin. Look back at verse 19. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable. A day will come where we will have to answer for our sin. Y'all have heard the phrase or the idea of a judgment day, right? I think it's even the title of a movie that wasn't too long ago. Um, Mankind did not coin that phrase. Mankind did not make that idea up. 
God did. It's in his word. It's in the Bible. And on that day, he will call everyone to account for our rebellion against him. We will be accountable for every sinful thought and word and deed. And then fourth and finally, at the very end of, of that first half that we read, our works will not save us from our sin. What we do, our works will not save us from our sin. And again, you see it clearly in those words, by, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Hear this, I'm going to put it in terms all of us can get our heads around. Your works will not save you. Your works will not save you. And understanding this is huge. And here's why I say that. If I walked around this campus and asked the question to to just random people, what hope do you have that you could possibly be made right with God? Most, and, and I think it would be by a large margin, if they were even willing to acknowledge their sin in the first place, which, like we said before, a lot of us aren't even willing to do that. But if we were, I think most would say something like, because I've actually heard this answer to that very question. I just hope in the end my good works would outweigh my bad. That's what most think. In verse 20... Romans 3 is telling us that ain't happening. That's a false hope. You see, the law was never meant to save us. The law, God's righteous commands, was, they were given so that we might see our sin. God gave the law to be a mirror to us so that we would see the truth about ourselves, so that we would see the reality of our sin. Or or let's go back to that cancer illustration. God gave the law to be the CT scan of our hearts so that we might see the disease and run to the cure. See what I'm saying? The CT scan will not save. It simply reveals, it simply shows, it simply brings to the surface so that you can run to the cure. To rely on your works would be like a cancer patient walking around with scan pictures claiming those will save him. And that patient would die holding those pictures. Those pictures simply reveal what's true deep down inside. And like I said, their purpose is to send us to the cure. We're going to talk about the cure in just a second. But y'all, this is important because many of you tonight are here and you're here. You're trying to earn your right standing before God with your works. Even many of you who have known the cure for years. And hear me, you cannot do it. Scans have never cured cancer and works have never saved souls. And at some point, you're just going to end up exhausted and disillusioned. And some of you even now know what I'm talking about. 
Jesus is your only hope for a cure. He is your only hope for a right standing before God. When we sang that song, what can wash away my sin? What was the answer? Nothing Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Your works, our works cannot save us, but Jesus can. And that's the good news that follows this hard first part. Let's look at that. I want to read it again because it's so good. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. I'm in verse 21 if, if you haven't figured that out yet. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to that. He's saying, look, the law and the prophets are actually pointing you to Jesus, the cure. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, as a propitiation or a sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So those first few verses spoke of of that sobering reality of our unrighteousness before God, which should leave us asking, well then, what hope do we have? How can I, how can we be made right with God? And as we just read in those verses, verses 21 and 26, we see that our hope is the righteousness of God. It's not our own. It's a righteousness that God gives us. And we talked about this at length last week. But Paul says it twice here in verses 21 and 22. Our works, our righteousness will not save us, but his will. The righteousness we lack that we don't have God provides in the person of his son. And then verse 24 says that this righteousness of God is given to us as a gift of his grace. And again, Paul's reminding us it's not something that we've earned by our works. Because grace, by definition, is getting what we do not deserve. If if you gave, or, or, or let's say someone gave you a gift, and you said, thank you, And they said, oh, it's okay, you've earned it. You would kind of go, what? I thought it was a gift. Right, those two things don't go together. You either earn it or it's a gift. And Paul really clearly in this passage is saying this gift of God's righteousness is a gift of grace to you. And it's purely a gift of grace. And then we see in verse 24 that this gift of grace came through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, rescued us from the penalty of our sin. So all the awful things that we saw there that were true of us, in verses 9 through 20, Jesus can make untrue. Y'all know verses 9 through 20, that's us. That's our hearts. That's what's true of us. The good news 
the Bible tells us over and over and over is Jesus can make all of that untrue. He lived a perfect life so that he could give us his perfect record. He died a sacrificial death so that the debt of our sin could be fully paid. And he rose to new life so that we could be raised out of our sin and our death. And then verse 25 gives us this thought. All of this is a gift that we receive by faith. Again, nothing we do. We simply receive it by faith. And faith is simply believing in or putting your trust in something. It's believing in or putting your trust in something. Y'all know that every time you get on a plane, you're living by faith, right? You ever thought about that? Like, I've never met the person in the cockpit. And I'm putting my life in their hands. Every time you get on a plane. You're living by faith that the plane and the pilot will get you from point A to point B. Sorry if I'm terrifying some of you from ever flying again. But you're exercising faith that plane and pilot can get you from point A to point B. And every time you step onto that plane, you're putting your whole life on that proposition. That's a lot like what faith is. Faith is when the soul cries out, Jesus, I believe that you died to save me from my sin. That you can get me from point A to point B. You can get me from my unrighteousness. My bad standing before God. And take me to righteousness. And to a right standing before God. Faith is arresting all of who I am on that proposition. Do you believe it? Is that where your faith lies? Have you put your whole life on that one proposition of Jesus as your Savior? You can do that tonight. That's why this text is here. Jesus is offered to you night. Will you trust all of who you are on him alone? I want to end with a few applications. Here's why all of this matters to us. And we could probably throw in 20 more things. I'm going to give you two or three. Why does all this matter? First, there's there's a short phrase there in verse 25 that, that says all of this was given to us because of God's divine forbearance. Did y'all see that phrase? Which is just another way of saying his mercy and his love. God has done all of this because of his great mercy and love. So application number one, when will we learn to rest in his great mercy and love? We worry so much about grades, jobs, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, lack thereof, finances, friends, future, etc. The list is endless of those things that we'll worry about. And worry is looking toward the future. What about discontentment? Which is kind of in the other direction. I'm disappointed or I'm upset or I'm angry. 
because of what I didn't get. And probably that list would apply to that too. When will we start to see that God provided for us in our greatest problem, which was sin? And if he'll do that, surely he'll provide for us in all of our other needs. When will we truly rest in him? That's my first effort. I want to challenge you to believe that God did the most for you in giving you his son. Surely he can provide what you need today. Rest in that. And I'm preaching to my own heart here. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up, and you know what? I'm going to be anxious about something. And I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to be upset about something that didn't go my way. So my own heart needs to hear this. Second application. We've said it many times tonight that our works will not save us, and I want to say again that they do not. We're saved by faith in Jesus alone. But listen, this does not mean that there are no works. There are. Martin Luther, who we talked about last week, was fond of saying, we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. We're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Here's what he meant. True faith produces works. Or think about it this way. Works are fruit, not root. Works are the outcome of the faith that's already there. And so if we have true faith, we'll become more like Christ in our nature, in our character. If we have true faith, we'll love our neighbor. If we have true faith, we'll want to proclaim Jesus to this campus and to this world. So take a survey of your life. Is there fruit? Are you growing in likeness to to Jesus? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you proclaiming him? others. Where there's true faith, works always follow. But it's not the basis of our faith. Y'all got that, right? It's been clear? Okay, good. All right. Third, (laughs) verse 26 says that in all of this, I love this phrase, God is the just and the justifier of all who believe in Jesus. God is the just and the justifier. I love it because God did not compromise his justice in saving us. In the cross of Christ, God's justice and mercy kissed. They met there at the cross. And isn't that one of the most beautiful things you've ever heard? God didn't have to sacrifice part of his character. No, our sin was dealt with. Our sin was paid for in what Jesus did. And mercy was thrown out there to all who will believe. God's justice and mercy kissed at the cross. Sinners were set free because the debt of sin was truly and fully paid. So here's application number three. Pretty profound. Go out of here grateful and praising him. That's all. 
Think about what Jesus accomplished at the cross and then just go out of here thankful and praising him to anyone and everyone who will listen. Because that's what this work of Jesus demands. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you, God, that you are both the just and the justifier of all who have put their faith in you. So God, I pray that not one heart, not one soul would, would leave tonight without considering that. And thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to tell us the truth about our hearts, about our sin, to the end that we would run to the Savior. And I pray that we would do that this very night. And then as we do that, that we would find our rest and our joy in Him alone. So make us grateful and fill us with praise. Because all we have is Christ.